So I, I wanted to ask my dad for advice. And um, and he was 80 years old at the time and hard of hearing, so it's not like I could just call him up on the phone and ask him. So I, I literally have to write him letters. And I thought he was just going to tell me one of two things, right? He's either going to tell me, oh, absolutely, son, you should go pursue your dream. I know you can do it. Or he was going to say, are you nuts? Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Well, Paul Smith, I want to welcome you to the podcast today. Thanks for being here. You're very welcome. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be here, too, because, you know, when we chit-chatted last week or this week, you gave me a teaser uh, that I can't wait. Yeah, I've been waiting. Okay, (laughs) just so you know, I've been waiting patiently. (laughs) And I didn't cheat. All right. um, But let's get into it. I'll make you wait uh, till the very end of the podcast. (laughs) You're so mean. Let's. uh, Okay, so share with our listeners. Just tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, so uh, that, that's an oddly hard question to ask. You'd think it'd be easy it after is. a while, but uh, I mean, it used to be easy. I, I could say, "Oh, I'm a, a consumer research director at Procter and Gamble," or you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm married or, with two children. Yeah, or I'm an accountant, or you know. But now I, I don't know whether to tell people I'm an author, even though that's not how I make most of my money, or I could tell them I'm a speaker and trainer, even though that's not how I spend most of my time. Or I could tell them I'm a writer and a podcaster and a blogger, even though that's not how I spend my time, much of my time, or make any of my money. So I'm not really sure. I'm I'm all of those things. <laughs> what about a storyteller? Uh, you know, that's that's probably the best. But I I find that when I say that word to people, yeah. what yeah. it conjures up in their mind is some like you know Broadway style actor or somebody at a, a folk telling folktale festival that's on stage bouncing around and waving their arms all around and enthralling a bunch of nine-year-olds in a story. And that's just not what I do. So yeah, I've yet to figure out the right answer, but somewhere in all those things I just said is is what I do. And, and mostly, I guess what I do is I, I teach leaders and salespeople how to use the art and the science of storytelling to make them more effective at their jobs. And that could either be through reading the books that I write or hiring me to do a training course or uh, something, but that—that's in essence what I what I try and do. I think that was perfect. All right, I'll, I, I'm going to go listen to this later and write that down. Then, so that's what I should <laughs> say from now on. And I'm going to add to that. So, <clears throat> listeners, Paul currently has three books out: "Lead with a Story," "Parenting with a Story," and "Sell with a Story." And are you working on a fourth? Yeah, I'm always working on something, but we'll 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 see what happens. We'll see. TBD, <laughs> yeah. TBD, yeah, exactly. So how did you get into storytelling? Why storytelling? Yeah, so, um, well, and, and perhaps this will fit in with your the, the theme of your podcast here, uh, Failing Forward. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, it's, at some point, I recognized that what I really wanted to do with my life, if I could choose exactly what I got to do, uh, would be to be a, a trainer and a, a speaker. I mean, I got to do a little bit of that at P&G, and I loved it when I did it, but that was like 5% of my job. And I, I thought, well, what, what could I do to make that be all of my job? And I noticed that the the people who get to do that for a living are typically people who've written some best-selling book, and then everybody wants them to come talk about what they've written about. Right. And so I thought, well, I, I need to go write a book, I guess, you know, so... Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just so simple. Yeah, real simple. Well, so I, at about that time, I had just read a book by Chip and Dan Heath. It, was, it came out, I think, in 2007, 
It was called Made to Stick. And it was a New York Times bestseller and fabulous book. And it actually, it, it radically changed how I was um, teaching one of the, cor- the the communications courses I was teaching at, at, at Procter & Gamble. And, and that's when these two th- ideas came together. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I could do this type of training class outside of Procter & Gamble and do it for a living, or at least let me try this kind of thing. So I, I literally contacted the authors and said, you know, I, I think there's some commercial value in the, the combination of the theory in your book and the real world examples and stories that I use to teach it in, in class. And so we ended up uh, forming of something of a partnership and I became the first licensed trainer for their made to stick book. And so I would, uh, you know, go around to, to essentially to companies that couldn't afford to hire them, <laughs> but could afford to hire me. <laughs> that was like the yeah. private label version of Chip and Dan right. Heath, right? And I would go and I'd do a full day training course and I'd send them, you know, 30% of whatever I made or whatever, you know, some licensing fee. Sure. And, and it was nice and it got my toe in the water and, I, <clears throat> and it confirmed for me that, man, I love doing this. I absolutely love teaching adults something that I'm passionate about. Um, but I still had this full-time day job at P&G, and, and I really had very little platform to market that service. Essentially, what I was doing was when they had somebody call them and want to hire them and they just couldn't afford their exorbitant fee, they would send them my way. And there just wasn't an, enough of that. I, I you know for, for it to make sense to them, I needed to be able to generate new clients. And yeah, I put up a website, but you know, I got this full-time job at P&G and I didn't have a marketing budget for myself. And um, so at the end of the year, we had this really tough conversation and it was, Hey, we love the class that you're teaching. And yeah, your website looks great, but, um, you know, this, we, we like this idea of us not having to do a thing and get, you know, get paid every time somebody teaches a class that's got our name on it and got our ideas in it. Um, and you can only do three or four of these a year or have only done three or four of these a year. And, and that's probably not going to change too much as long as you got a full-time job and don't have a platform to market this idea. Yeah. And those things weren't going to change. And, uh, so at the end of that conversation, what they said was, you know, we'd, we'd rather hire a, a real full-time training company to do this and not have you do it. And, and, and by the way, what, what I'd forgot to mention was we'd also had a plan for, us to all three co-author a book together and it was going to be essentially the the follow-up to made to stick it was let you know call it uh, made to stick a practical guide or something essentially it would be the the written version of the training course i was teaching so here i had this plan with these two guys these two best-selling authors to author a book and dip my toe in the water becoming a trainer Okay. And, at, and at the end of 2009, in this one phone conversation, they told me that neither of those things were going to work out. <laughs> so first of all, we want to uh. hire, yeah, hire a real training firm to do this full time instead of this, you know, very part time stuff you're doing and, and which is not meeting our expectations in terms of, um, you know, sheer revenue and number of clients because you don't have a marketing platform. And also, oh, by the way, we're too busy to write that book with you. <laughs> so we're not going to do that either. So it was like a double doozy. Oh, yeah. So my two, these two big dreams I had that, you know, I'd been working on for a year. And by the way, I'd written half of my half of the book at that point. Did you really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Were you able to use some of that information for something else? Well, yes. And so that's what, but that that's the transition. And so in this one phone call in December of 2009, you know, I had this, you know, very disappointing set of double barrel shotgun news coming at me and essentially got fired from my two dreams. And uh, so I, I moped around for about that for about a month. 
And then in January, I said, well, you know, I don't need them. I'll write my own book and I'll get, you know, get my own clients. And so, yes, I used much of, in fact, that's how, this is a long answer to your short question, but that's how that's okay. I came to the idea of storytelling really was one of the six components of their ideas and made to stick is that, uh, that ideas are more successful if they're simple, unexpected, credible, concrete, emotional, and delivered via stories. And so mm. it was that stories that I thought, well, that's the one of these six things that I really have the most unique information on and ideas and examples of. And so that ended up becoming the topic of my first book was really just focusing on storytelling. So I love how there was a big like turn in the road, a detour, mm -hmm. a pretty big detour, but how you were able to take that detour and figure out a new path. A new yeah. road, a new roadmap, right? Yeah, and, and I, I I certainly wouldn't have done it at least that soon had I not had that roadblock at that point. I, you know, I would have continued playing around with this idea on a very part-time basis with somebody else's ideas and continuing to be the, the private label version of somebody else instead of being my own author and with my own ideas and my own expertise and my own intellectual property. I love that. Okay, so... You decide to do this. You decide to write the book. Then what? Yes. How do you decide to leave P&G? Because that's a pretty big leap. Yeah, that, that's a great question. And I thought about that a lot. In fact, I, I, I thought, what is my decision criteria? And I, I, actually, I actually came up with five things. I said, the, these five things would make me quit my full-time, honestly pretty cushy corporate job in my mid-40s, you know, too young to retire, um, but yet not... Um, not ready to retire, but ready to go do something else. Um, and I came up with these five criteria. One is I'd only leave for work that I was truly passionate about. Okay. You know, I, mean, I mean, let's face it, not many people hate their job, but, but most of us don't love our jobs, you know, and that's kind of where I was. I liked my job, but I didn't love it. Um, but I, so I would leave for a job that I loved. Um, secondly, work that I thought I could really excel at. Um, you know, I thought I was good at my job, decent, yeah. but I wasn't great. And uh, I, I didn't feel like I was the best. And uh, wouldn't it be great to be the best at something or be at the top of, you know, the, the, the heap of something, you know, so, uh, so, so work I could excel at. Okay. Um, third, work that I thought would make a real difference in people's lives. And, and I know that sounds totally cliche, but that's, I think that's only because, you know, too few of us do work that really makes a meaningful, positive and tangible impact on other people. And, you know, I was working in our, our toilet paper business and I just, you know, I didn't feel like I was really making the world a better place, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. so three. Were would, you really, were yeah, you really working? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Toilet paper, paper towels, and, you know, facial tissue. So I, I was literally in charge of research on how people blow their noses and wipe their butts. Right. So, um, not exactly world changing stuff. Um, and so number four was uh, a career that could support my family. I mean, I wasn't, you know, uh, you know, looking for a hobby or a side job, and I certainly wasn't looking to go run a charity. I mean, I wanted, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I got kids to put through college. So I needed to be practical about it. And then uh, the fifth one was uh, an opportunity that my wife was comfortable with. You know, I mean, I mean, marriage is a partnership, and if, if I went and did something so crazy that she was just going to be worrying herself to death every night, then that's not success. So, so those were my five criteria. So I, I essentially had to run my own test market. So that's yeah. exactly what I did. So I wrote the book, um, nights and weekends it took me about two and a half years, which is like two and a half times as long as it should take somebody to write a book like I wrote. Um, but that's because I was doing it very part-time. It was literally like an hour a day during the week and two or, or five hours on the weekend. And I got it done and I, I ended up getting it published and then I waited. 
to see what would happen. And uh, and because and I wanted to see what would happen to these five things. And it turned out that all five of them turned out to meet my success criteria. So first of all, I, I found out that I absolutely love writing. And I didn't know that I would. I, I knew I would love the speaking and training, but I thought that the writing would be this necessary evil. And, yeah, yeah. And I, I loved it. <clears throat> and also, the, the my first few speaking engagements and training engagements, I I got fabulous feedback, and the book started selling really well. And I think that first book's in its ninth printing now, and it's in seven or eight languages around the world. And um, so I, I was very quickly getting the kind of feedback that I, I wasn't getting at P&G. Nobody was telling me, you're the best, you know, consumer research director we've ever had, you know I mean? Um, but here <laughs> yeah. I was, I had a book that hit number one on Amazon's business communication bestseller list and, you know, all these different printings and languages and the feedback. And so I was getting some positive feedback. Um, so that's, so that checked off number two. So passion, um, something I could excel at. Um, three, making a difference. I mean, they're, one of the greatest rewards I think an author gets is, is to hear from his or her readers. And I was getting emails from people all over the world telling me that, that what I had written had just made it a really important, <clears throat> positive impact in their life and their career. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, I get finished with a, a speech and there's a line of people that, you know, want to talk to me and tell me, you know, what a difference that made for them. And yeah, that's not the kind of reaction you get at the end of a budget meeting at work, right, you know? Right, so, right. yeah, so, so that met that criteria. Honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, I, and this, this probably selfishly is the, a really big one. Um, I realized it could support my family. So it met my financial criteria and yeah. in the first six months after the book came out, um, you know, the first six months I only had a single speaking engagement. Well, that's not going to support the family, but then there was a second one and a third one and a fourth one. And pretty quickly I could see that the math was going to add up. So it met that criteria. And then, uh, and then lastly, I talked to my wife, you know, and, uh, the, the two things I did to get her comfortable with this was one, we went to a financial planner and, you know, basically said, okay, here's all of our investments. Here's, you know, how many books I've sold. You do the math and tell us if this is crazy or not. And, right. uh, and he said, this is not crazy. You, you can do this. The, the math works. So that gave her some comfort. And then, uh, the, the second thing that gave her comfort was I said, look, if this doesn't work, I basically said, look, what's the worst that could happen? The worst that could happen is that nobody ever buys my books again and nobody uh, ever hires me to give a speech again. That's the worst case scenario, right? So zero income is the worst case criteria, worst case scenario, as opposed yeah. to if I wanted to open a restaurant or start a new business and invest our entire life savings in it. And the worst case scenario is we're broke. Right. So worst case scenario is uh, I do this for a couple of years. It doesn't work. And I get my resume out and get a real job. And again. go back. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. So worst so, case scenario. So wasn't Paul, too bad. were there five criteria or six? I, th- I think that's five. Okay. <laughs> we'll that's what I thought. Just checking. Yeah. Okay. So that was, that was, yeah. So it met my five criteria. So that, that, so that's when I decided, that's when I walked into Kirk's office and said, uh, well, that's actually, that's not true because the, the one thing that had to happen before I walked into Kirk's office and it's that- And that's, Kirk is, is, was your old, bo- old manager. Yes. Yeah. My, yeah. my boss. Who was and, also on a podcast. Yes. Okay. So, so the last thing that had to happen was I was still chicken. <laughs> I was just, I didn't have the courage to do it. Yeah. Um, so it made all the financial sense and all the, the, the rational sense that met those five criteria, but I still didn't have the courage. And that's where my dad's uh, letter comes in. And that's the story that I haven't told you. Um, so if you're ready for it now, I'll tell, I'll I'm tell ready. it to you now. I can't, I really am ready. Come yeah. On. So, um, so I, I, here I was in this quandary. I had all the rational reasons why, but it was too chicken to make this decision. So I figured you're never too old to learn from somebody older and wiser. 
So I, I wanted to ask my dad for advice. And um, and he was 80 years old at the time and hard of hearing. So it's not like I could just call him up on the phone and ask him. So I, I literally have to write him letters. And um, so I wrote him and I, I told him every, basically everything I just told you and said, what do you think I should do? And I thought he was just going to tell me one of two things, right? He's either going to tell me, oh, absolutely, son, you should go pursue your dream. I know you can do it. I'm behind you 100%, like you think a parent would. Or he was going to say, are you nuts? (laughs) Like You got like five years before you can like retire and get a retirement plan and it'd be all comfortable. And just, are you just, just sit tight and go pursue that silly dream in a few years when it's easy. And, (laughs) and so I, you know, I waited for a couple of weeks for the letter to come back, you know, and, and he didn't tell me either of those things. All he did was he told me a story about himself when he was a kid. He said, uh, when I was five years old, I knew exactly what I wanted to do with my life. He said, I wanted to be a singer, uh, you know, like Frank Sinatra or Tony Bennett, yeah. uh, you know, that okay. was Sammy Davis Jr. That, that was his genre, right? And he said, and I knew that for sure. The first day of first grade, he said, um, you know, I go to school and the teacher asked uh, all the students if any of us had any special talent, and you know, like singing or dancing or magic tricks or whatever. And he, he said, I raised my hand and I said, I can sing. Despite the fact that he'd never sung in front of anybody uh, except his mother in the kitchen, right? Um, well, what do you think the teacher did when he told her that? Well, I would have thought the teacher would let him sing. <laughs> exactly. She said, well, Bobby, stand up and sing us a song. So yeah. little five-year-old Bobby stands up and he belts out his favorite tune. And he, you know, right there, acapella in front of the whole class. And he said, I nailed it. <laughs> I got all the words <laughs> right, all the melody right. I was so proud. I finished singing the song. And the teacher and the other students stood up and applauded me. No. Yeah. And he, my first public performance, and I get a standing ovation. And he said, that's the moment that I knew that this is what I was destined to do with my life. And he said, unfortunately, that turned out not just to be the first time I ever sang in front of an audience. It turned out to be the last time I ever sang in front of an audience. And he okay. said, son, life just got in the way. Right, you know, I grew up. I went to school. I got married. had had you kids. You know, I got a job. He said, you know, I. But but the truth is, he said, I just never had the courage to do it. And he said that was seventy five years ago. And there's not a month that goes by that I don't regret that decision. And of course, if that wasn't enough, and it was, I kid you not. He closed the letter with these words. He said, I would love to see you achieve your dream, but that doesn't mean in your lifetime, son. That means in mine. And I just, oh my gosh, tick tock, right? The guy's 80 years old. I mean, that just, that hit oh. me like a ton of bricks. I mean, I, it, like my heart stopped. I just, I could not oh move my. forward from that moment reading this letter. I mean, my father had laid down this, this gauntlet in front of me and challenged me to pick it up. Like not sometime off in the future, but right now. And so quite literally two days later, I walked into Kirk Perry's office and I resigned from my 20 year career. And it was absolutely the best decision I ever made. And I absolutely would not have made it at that moment had it not been for my dad's letter. Paul, that story was better than what I expected it would be. <laughs> well, it's good did, because you probably so had high expectations dad, after the tease I gave you over it. Did, yeah. And did that happen? Did your dad get to see you? It did. My father is still alive and he's gotten to see me achieve this dream. So 
Um, uh. Yeah, you know, and and uh, you know, t- today he's he's eighty five. Um, unfortunately, he is suffering from prostate cancer, and um, so which just further heightens my feeling that that was such a good decision because you know what if I'd waited that five years. Right. Um, you know, who, who knows if, because it, it takes a few years to be successful in this business. But anyway, that was the last thing that I needed was I needed a, a jolt of courage. And, and that letter let me realize that, you know, if, if we are the only ones that we're disappointing by not pursuing our dream, then it's probably fine. Like you can, you can make that decision for yourself. Mm. But the truth yeah. is all of us have somebody else you know, whether it's a husband or a wife or a parent or child or coworker that that wants to see us achieve our dream, and if you if you won't do it for your sake, you know, do it for them, and you'll you'll probably make two people happy in the process. I love that. I love that. So are so, you? So the advice you, is if if you're do if you're looking to achieve your dream just for you, eh. yeah. But if you're looking to do it for you and others, do it. Yeah, and even more so, I, I think you should <laughs> feel some amount of obligation to these people that you know that love you and want to see you achieve your dream, and um, if, if that provides you motivation. I mean, of course, you don't want to sure. you do something you don't want to do, but that sure. that provided some motivation to me to do something that I already wanted to do. Wow, what a gift he gave you! Yeah, that's a oh good description of it. God, that's awesome. So. My final question to you is, and this is going to be just where you are today and, you know, but what, what's a story that either you told or that was shared with you that, that has just really stuck with you that you think would be cool to share with listeners? Oh, yeah. Well, that's probably one of them, but um, the, the one that kind of comes well, to mind. It was very good. Yeah. One. I just uh, want another. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so the one that uh, I, I enjoy right now is uh, something that actually happened to me and and my wife. And as you know, this the the most recent book I, I wrote was about storytelling for salespeople. So, you know, for about a year and a half, I was investigating uh, sales stories and kind of looking for them wherever I was. And, and my wife and I were at... Um, uh, Coney Island uh, here in Cincinnati at an art fair and they have once every uh, couple of years and, it, and this isn't just some like local arts and crafts thing this is a serious right. juried art fair that they bring people in from around the country yeah. and she was looking for a um, uh, a picture for our son's bathroom at home and so we're going booth to booth and, and we get to this one booth of this uh, this underwater photographer a guy named Chris Goog and he just does these fascinating um, underwater pictures of sea anemones and coral reefs and stuff like that, you can imagine. And she's flipping through his pictures and she just gets emotionally attached to this one picture that to me looked about as out of place as a pig in the ocean. And, <laughs> and the, the reason, Sarah, is because it literally was a picture of a pig in no, the ocean. Yes. Stop. Yeah, stop I it. I kid you not. I'll send, I'll send you a copy of it, okay? Actually, so, can we maybe put that on social media? Yeah. We'll ask the artist about that. But, but yes. Oh, good point. So, um, so it literally was a picture of a pig in the ocean. So when I finally got my opportunity to ask the, the guy, you know, I, I said, dude, <laughs> what's with the pig in the what ocean? The right? That makes no sense. You know, pigs are not seafaring creatures and, you know, whatever. And <laughs> and that's when the magic started. He, he said, oh, yeah, Paul, it was. It was the craziest thing. He said, that picture was taken uh, off the coast of this uninhabited island in the Bahamas called Big Major K. And he said, apparently what happened was um, a few years ago, some local 
uh, entrepreneur decided to raise a pig farm for, for bacon, I guess. Well, anyway, he found that this there's this uninhabited island where he could keep the pigs for free. So, of course, he's going to throw these pigs out on this island for free, right? Mm-hmm. And he, he points to the picture and he says, but look up there behind the pig up on the beach. He said, what do you see back there? And I kind of squinted and looked and I said, well, the only thing I recognize up there is cactus. And he said, yeah, that's a problem. All right. Pigs don't like cactus. Right, you can't eat that. Yeah, so he said, so they, they, they couldn't eat. Um, he said, well, unfortunately, apparently, some local restaurant owner on a neighboring island was boating his kitchen refuse over to Big Major K and dumping it offshore a couple of dozen yards, like every night. So eventually, these pigs get hungry enough that they're looking out and they can see this food <laughs> floating in the ocean, right? And eventually, one of them gets hungry enough that, that you know, he dog paddles his way out there or pig paddles or whatever. He finds a way to get out there to eat the food, right? <laughs> pig paddles. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. so then there's then, then pig number two and then pig number three. And, you know, and here it is several generations later and all the pigs on Big Major K can swim. And he said, and so that made it, it was the easiest picture I ever took. Like normally I got to get my scuba equipment on. It's a big, it's a big, long ordeal. But I just leaned over outside the boat because these pigs have been trained that if a boat comes near, they think it's the guy from the restaurant. They're going to get fed. So they swim right up to the boat. So I just stuck my camera out and snapped the picture. Done. So, of course, at that moment, I've got my credit card out. And I'm like, we'll take it. <laughs> Sold oh, <laughs> right now. Yeah. Right? And, and There are so many beautiful analogies for the swimming piggy. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that I, I like that because it demonstrates the, the the power of a story. Because, you know, two minutes earlier, that, that, that picture was worth very little to me. Uh, but two minutes yeah. after that, it was worth a lot. Because now I wasn't just buying a picture. I was buying a story. And the story to me was more valuable than this, just the picture. I mean, talk about a fantastic, I'm sorry you have to have it in the bathroom, but a, a fantastic <laughs> uh, dinner party yeah. conversation starter. Yeah, well, I just make sure they all have enough to drink that they have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> then I get to tell the story again. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that for so many reasons. Like I think about adaptation. I think about resourcefulness. Mm-hmm. I think about um, resiliency with that. Mm-hmm. That's fabulous. Yeah. So there you go. There's your pig island story. Oh, I love that pig island. Wait, what do we call it? The pig island story. Pig island story. Because that's what they, yeah, because that's what everybody calls that island, nobody calls it Big Major K anymore. Like you can go to this place now. If you go to on a Caribbean cruise or something, yeah, ask them if they'll stop by Pig Island. Like it's still there. There's still pigs there. You can go see it. Go swim with them. Like if I Googled right now, can go- I find Google that? Pig Island and you, yeah, you'll get pictures of it. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, I love that. Well, Paul, you are a gift to us. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for your stories, and thank you for all the teaching and education that you provide people around storytelling because people are going to remember the two stories that you shared today about your dad and and, and the swimming piggies or pig island good maybe so they can forget you. about my miserable failure so <laughs> <laughs> well you know we're always typically thinking about ourselves right. so they'll remember that for five seconds exactly and move to their own very good well <laughs> but it's a reminder that we're not alone in that yeah thanks paul you're welcome I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, Anna Bulky, our producer, and the incredible team at Gwyn Sound. If you liked this episode, please, please go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and write a review. 